Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, May 9th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we'll recap what ended up only being two baseball games for the Orioles this weekend, and they were both played on Mother's Day, as we'll get you recaps of both games from the Orioles' Mother Day doubleheader that they split with the Kansas City Royals. Get you the five things you need to know from Game 1, get you the five things you need to know from Game 2, and then a little Orioles news and notes to finish out the pod. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles. Your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So today we will recap the Orioles' doubleheader split with the Kansas City Royals. O's lost the first game on Sunday 6-4 to and then came back and won the second one by a score of 4-2. to And we'll get you all of what happened in those two games on Sunday on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. So, Orioles and Royals on Sunday at Camden Yards. It was supposed to be, as we talked about here on the show on Friday, a three-game series. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, culminating with Mother's Day on Sunday. But instead, that is not exactly how things worked out because the weather in Baltimore this weekend was absolutely terrible and it washed out Friday. It washed out Saturday and gave us a doubleheader Sunday and then a noon Eastern time first pitch here today on Monday to finish out the series. But on this episode, you know, it's our usual three big takeaways from the weekend. Instead, we're looking at just two games, the two games of the doubleheader on Sunday. But before we get to those two games, just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked on Orioles free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Remember, if you listen on Spotify, you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a five-star rating and a review, that really, really, really helps out the pod. And of course, we're here on YouTube as well. Make sure you hit that red subscribe button. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment on the videos as well. Really, really appreciate all your support on this Monday through Friday Orioles podcast, the only pod out there bringing you O's content five days a week. We thank you so much for supporting and making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, the O's split the doubleheader with the Kansas City Royals. And we start here with game one of the double dip, which ended up being game one of the series. As the Orioles fall six to four in game one of that series on Sunday to snap the brief two-game winning streak. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from that Orioles loss. Starting with the first thing you need to know is that simply, this was a tough one for the Orioles. Just some tough breaks and a tough loss in a game you felt like they definitely could have and should have won in game one of the doubleheader. I mean, you had multiple things that just simply did not go the Orioles' way in this game, plain and simple. I mean, you take a look for the O's at the fifth inning. You have the ball that Mountcastle hits, you know, that looks like it lands in the first seat in left field and the new wall ends up that it just missed being a home run by inches of what would have been a two-run homer to tie the game in three. Instead, it just becomes an RBI double to make it a 3-2 game and the Royals get out of that inning, keeping it at 3-2. to two. Then 
you know, you have the, the first inning of the game. The Orioles load the bases with one out against Zach Greinke, and they're not able to push across any runs. And then, of course, you have, you know, what happened in the ninth inning of this game. The Orioles, you know, it's a 4-4 game, top of the ninth. Jorge Lopez back out there, and you have two outs and nobody on. And, I mean, Rugnet Odor just makes a horrendous error on a routine ground ball to second that should have ended the top of the ninth, sent it to the bottom half, tied, makes a bad error. Runner on first, Jorge Lopez tries to pick him off. Aaron pickoff throw, runner goes to third. And then Michael A. Taylor converts with an RBI single to give Kansas City a 5-4 lead. And then, of course, you know, Lopez struggled a little bit. CNL Perez came in. He couldn't get anybody out. And the Royals ended up getting another run, extending it to 6-4. to And that's just how it happened for the O's. And listen, they had 15 hits in this game. You got to score more than four runs when you get 15 hits as a team, but it was just kind of a tough luck game in that way. A lot of singles, uh, you know, to start rallies, but not to punctuate any. And of course they got the big hit from Odor, the two run double in the seventh that gave them a four to three lead, but just couldn't hold on to that lead. And, you know, a lot of dinks and dunks from the Royals. It definitely brought up some 2014 feelings, seeing the Royals get every bounce in this first game, but just a, just a, just a tough kind of unfortunate loss for the Orioles. But the second thing you need to know is that Jordan Lyles did exactly what the Orioles have paid him to do this season in his start in game one on Sunday. Seven and a third innings of work for Lyles. He allows four runs, but only two earned because the defense was a little shaky early in the game as well, especially on an error from Mountcastle in that fifth inning when Kansas City got two. But seven and a third innings, four runs, two earned on seven hits, five Ks, and one walk for Lyles. He throws 90 pitches and is the first Orioles starter to pitch into the eighth inning this season. He now has a 4.05 ERA on the year. And yes, you know, the Royals did square him up a little bit. They did have nine hard hit balls against him. But to get through seven and a third, and listen, you know, if he hadn't allowed a base runner in that eighth inning with one out, he might have cruised through the eighth inning. I mean, again, he was only at 90 pitches in this one. He got, you know, only seven whiffs in 90 pitches. It's not like he was... You know, lighting the world on fire, got three on his fastball and three on his slider. But once again, the slider was the money pitch for Jordan Lyles. Now, it wasn't like his last start where he used his slider more than any other pitch. He was still was mostly four-seamer through that 39% of the time. Then the slider was second at 24% of the time, but that slider was in the zone. It was getting swings and misses. It was, it was looking good. In this one, and you know, his average velo was at 91, which is down from his usual 92. So that was just something to keep an eye on. But in general, he was pretty good. And obviously, pitching into the eighth this is his best start in an Orioles uniform. And I think for Jordan Lyles, you know, yeah, he wasn't dominant or anything, but this is exactly what the Orioles gave him seven million dollars to do: is to eat innings and keep them in games. He eats seven and a third innings and kept them right in the game. I mean, pretty much perfect to a T of what the Orioles need out of Jordan Lyles this season. They got in the start on Sunday. Third thing you need to know from this Orioles 6-4 loss in Game 1 of the doubleheader is that Austin Hayes is on fire right now. Now, of course, in Game 2, he ended up being retired in the middle of that game to snap a streak of nine straight plate appearances in which he reached base. But he reached base in all five of his plate appearances in game one of this doubleheader was four for four with four singles and a walk and two runs scored had his average up to 316 in that one after his hit and his walk to start game two he was up to a 323 batting average 
on the year. But he had two hard hit balls with his four hits. They were timely. He was just dinking and dunking the ball throughout the outfield and hitting the ball hard as well. Again, continues to play a great left field for the Orioles defensively. Right now, if you ask me who has been the best Oriole hitter so far this year, it's probably been Austin Hayes. I mean, you know, the average in the OPS, he leads the team. Now, the home runs haven't really come yet for Hayes, but he obviously hit the big one the other night to take down the Twins, and it's just been fun to watch him. He's been healthy the whole season, which we've really never seen before, you know, a month in, and he's been healthy, and he's been hitting. And, you know, you look ahead, it's only been a month, but, you know, if you had to take one Oriole All-Star right now, you might take Austin Hayes. I mean, it's been really, really fun to watch and, and a four for four day. I mean, it's his second four hit game of the season. I mean, he continues to get it done for the Orioles. But fourth thing you need to know from this one is that his outfield counterpart, or at least one of them, is feeling it again. And that is Cedric Mullins, who went two for five with a double, an RBI, and a strikeout, and three hard hit balls in game one of this doubleheader. He, after that game, had five multi-hit games in his last seven And in that seven-game stretch, 12 hard-hit balls. That's a ball off the bat, 95 miles per hour or more in terms of the exit velocity. 12 of them in seven games for Cedric Mullins. He's hitting the ball a lot harder. He's driving the ball. The extra base hits are back for Mullins. After this game, average was up to 250, OPS up to 779 for the Orioles center fielder. And, you know, he's still not at the pace he was, you know, at the beginning of the All-Star season in 2021. But... He has been really, really good over the past couple of weeks and is hitting like the hitter we saw for Mullins last year. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one, obviously, you know, the guy on the mound when the Orioles gave up the lead and uh, then Kansas City took the lead was Jorge Lopez, who, you know, relieved Jordan Lyles with one out and one on in the eighth inning, ended up giving up the run that tied the game, and then the unearned run for Kansas City to take the lead when he came back out in the top of the ninth. But, you know, neither of the runs Lopez allowed were earned to him. You know, those two runs in the ninth were not earned. And, of course, the run that came across in the eighth was charged to Jordan Lyles. And, you know, he ended up going an inning and a third, two runs, no earned, two hits, no strikeouts, a walk, and 25 pitches. And the thing you need to know is that just Jorge Lopez didn't have his best stuff today. And and, and that's okay. You know, you're not going to have your best stuff as a reliever every day. You know, he only allowed one hard hit ball, so it wasn't like he was getting smacked. But the stuff was was not great. Again, he threw 25 pitches, only got one whiff. He got one swing and miss on a changeup. That was it. And the other thing that was just a little bit concerning is the fastball velocity was down. He's averaged 98 miles an hour on his fastball this year. He only hit 98 once in this appearance, and he was averaging 96.9 miles an hour, over a mile per hour down from his year-long average. And you know that was with 11 fastballs. That was his most used pitch in these inning and a third that he threw. And just something to monitor. You know, he still got four outs. And if Rudin Odor could field a grounder, he still would have gotten those four outs and honestly actually would have gotten five outs scoreless and sent it to the bottom of the ninth tide. But just something to monitor. Velo a little down. Stuff wasn't as crisp. Velo was down on all of his pitches, actually. So just uh, something to look out for when he comes back out there for the Orioles. But they do fall 6-4 to four in game one of the doubleheader. But... The Orioles did turn things around, and they were able to split it as they won game two by a score of 4-2. to two. And coming up next, I'll get to the five things you need to know from the game two victory for the Orioles in this doubleheader against the Royals. But first, let's talk about BetOnline.com. 
sportsgamblingnetwork.net, your one-stop shop for all things sports gambling. All your sports wagering needs, you can get them at betonline.net. Because listen, baseball season's here. We're about a month in. Orioles aren't in last place. They're in fourth. They're well ahead of the Red Sox right now. But there's a lot else going on. You got the NBA playoffs into the second round. You got the NHL playoffs rolling along. How about the Caps up 2-1 to one on the Panthers? Make sure to go check out Locked On Capitals as, uh, if you're a Caps fan like me and they're you know playing better than we thought in their first round series against the uh, number one seed in the East. But you, know, you can place your bets, look at the lines at, at all of those games, NBA and NHL at betonline.net. But you can also, you can check the score at betonline.net. You can get sports news. You can get injury news. You can listen to podcasts like this one as well. You can really do it all. So, you know, if you want to place a wager, you got to go to betonline.net first to get all the info you need. Again, that is betonline.net where the game starts. So the Orioles did drop game one of that doubleheader, but they rebounded and they came in and they got game two by a score of four to two to split the doubleheader. With the split, Orioles now 11 and 17 on the season again sitting in fourth place in the AL East. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from game two of this doubleheader for the Orioles. And the first thing you need to know is that simply Bruce Zimmerman just continues to roll for the Orioles. Another quality start for the O's lefty and just looked really good again doing it for Baltimore on the mound. Six innings for Bruce. He allows two runs on five hits, five strikeouts, and the big thing, no walks for Zimmerman through 85 pitches. ERA on the season now at 2.67, and he allowed seven hard-hit balls in this one. But, you know, there were a couple of screamers, a couple of doubles hit down the line by the Royals, and they squared him up a couple of times. But in general, Zimmerman had the stuff working in this one. Got 11 whiffs on 85 pitches, a solid number. The interesting part of those whiffs, though, is that, you know, if you remember in his last start, I talked about how Zimmerman, you know, really had his best fastball I'd ever seen through the first couple of innings. This far and away was the best, most effective Bruce Zimmerman fastball I have ever seen. We've talked about it multiple times on this podcast. The fastball is the danger pitch for him. It's his worst pitch. It's the one that gets hit around the most, but he continues to throw it more than any other pitch. And you get why, you know, pitching for a hundred years has been, you establish your fastball, you throw it the most, and then you throw your off speed and your breaking stuff. But Zimmerman has some really, really good off speed and breaking stuff, whether it's his elite changeup with the break or the slider and the curveball, which have both been really good this year. But, you know, he's been kind of bringing those two pitches closer and closer together, where at times this year he's thrown, you know, just as many change-ups as fastballs or only, you know, a couple less, you know, change-ups than fastballs. It was very different on Sunday. Bruce Zimmerman threw 39 fastballs out of his 85 pitches, and that was just four seamers. There were also six of them that were counted as sinkers, which he's been mixing in as well, that sinker. So if you combine the sinker and the four seamer, that's 45 of his 85 pitches. Next most used pitch was the changeup, just 22 of them. So it was 46% four seamers and 26% changeups. That's, I think, the biggest discrepancy between four seamer and changeup all season for Zimmerman. And you would think, oh no, it got clobbered. Not really the case for Bruce today. We talked about those 11 whiffs. He got seven whiffs on the fastball. That is a career high for swings and misses against his fastball. Now, 
Guys were swinging all day against the fastball. They swung at 21 of the 39 fastballs he threw. He got nine foul balls. He got seven whiffs. He got six called strikes, and five of them were put in play. And it, it was right around his year-long average. You know, he was at 90.1 miles an hour. He maxed out, hit 92 once with the fastball. But I've just never seen guys swing and miss at the Zimmerman fastball like the Royals hitters did on Sunday. And I don't want him to continue to pitch like this because – We've seen in the past what that fastball does, and it gets clobbered. I'd still like to see more change-ups, more sliders. He only threw 12 of them, and more curveballs. Only threw six of those curveballs. But, you know, he did get two whiffs on his slider, one on the sinker, one on the curveball. Keep mixing those pitches in, but when he clearly didn't have the change-up, and I think that was the case in this one, he threw 22 change-ups and did not get any whiffs on that pitch. I believe that's the first start this year where Zimmerman did not get a swing and miss on a change-up. He turned to the fastball, and it worked out for him. And so on his worst changeup day, he has his best fastball day of his career. And to me, that is a huge positive sign for Zimmerman to know that, all right, if he doesn't have that devastating changeup one day, maybe the fastball, at least the four-seamer, is getting better, and this sinker is starting to work for him a little bit. You know, he's throwing it here and there. I mean, it is a big, big day for Zimmerman to have the fastball be that good Really, really impressed by what Bruce did with that four-seamer on Sunday. But the second thing you need to know from this one is the Orioles kind of put away the struggles they had in the first inning in game one where they left the bases loaded. And they jumped on the Royals starter big time in the first inning of this one. It was the lefty Daniel Lynch who got the start. He lasted just three and two-thirds, allowing three runs on four hits. But... The Orioles jumped all over him, and he threw 95 pitches in just three and two-thirds innings. That's because the O's made him work in that first inning. They ended up scoring three runs in the bottom of the first to set the tone, and you know they never looked back. They held the lead for the entire game in this one, and really, that's how you got to do it if you are the Orioles. They come up to the plate, and Mullen singles, and Mancini singles, and Austin Hayes walks, and immediately they've loaded the bases with nobody out. A pass ball makes it one nothing. A RBI single from Mountcastle makes it 2 nothing, and a sack fly from Ramon Arias immediately makes it 3 nothing, and you're all over Lynch. And yeah, you know, the Orioles only scored one other run in this entire game, so you'd like for them to score more than one run over the next seven innings, but it was nice to see them kind of jump all over him. And, you know, it was cool to see Tyler Nevin drive in that other run. He had an RBI single in the fifth that brought in the fourth run for the Orioles, but just big to see them jump on the starter like that. Third thing you need to know is that somehow, some way, Chris Owings, who got the start in this one, he had not played since last Saturday. It had been eight days since he appeared in a game for the Orioles. Started at second base, batting ninth in the order. Reached base three times. Now, he did not get a hit. He still only has two hits this year. He's now two for 19. But he did not strike out. He did ground into a double play in the eighth inning. He worked three walks in this game, reached base three times. Now, I tweeted that the Kansas City Royals should be relegated to AAA for walking Chris Owings and his 105 batting average three times. But credit to Owings. You know, these were not four-pitch walks. These were 3-2 walks where he fouled off multiple pitches and took some close 3-2 pitches to earn his way on three different times. And now... They weren't in the biggest of moments. You know, he was on base three times, but didn't come across to score any runs and really didn't even start any big rallies with those three walks. But if he's not going to hit and he's still going to be on this team, 
at the very least, if he could walk three times out of four plate appearances out of the nine hole with the way Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes are swinging the bat and they're coming up next, I'll at least take that from Chris Owings. And I don't know how the Royals are walking him three times, but I will take it from Owings and maybe it keeps him on the team. Who knows? I mean, obviously we'd like to see Ryland Bannon or Jemai Jones, but at least he got on base in his first game since last Saturday. Chris Owings got on base three times. But it wasn't just Chris Owings who got on base. The fourth thing that you need to know from this Orioles 4-2 win, all nine Orioles starters in this game got on base. How about that? And Chris Owings was actually the only guy, though, that got on base three times. The Orioles had, in this game, four runs on eight hits, And every other Orioles starter besides Owings had exactly one hit. So everybody got in on the action. Mullins won for five with a single. Mancini won for four with a single. Austin Hayes won for three with a double. He also had a walk. Mountcastle won for four with a single. Urias won for three with a double. And Tyler Nevin had a one for three with that RBI single. Jorge Mateo won for four with a single. Even Robinson Chirinos had a single in the eighth inning in his one for four day. And yeah, the Orioles, you know, they did strike out seven times. And, you know, they only drew the five walks in the game, but everybody was getting it done. Now, they only had the two extra base hits, the double from Hayes and the double from Urias. But if everybody's getting on, you know, that's how you end up scoring more runs. And it's so interesting because the Orioles had four runs on eight hits in game two, but four runs on 15 hits in game one. Two very different ways to go about scoring four runs In a game. And yeah, you know, they hit a lot of singles in this doubleheader, and that's why they only scored eight runs on a total of 23 hits in the two games. But it was nice to see, you know, in game one, it was kind of Mountcastle and Hayes just kind of dominating, whereas in game two, everybody got in on the action. And that was nice to see as the Orioles' offense, as we know, has been just much, much better over the past couple of weeks. So it's definitely good to see that, uh, you know, they're, they're just playing. They're playing better baseball right now, and they're hitting a lot better, and they've got a better approach, and uh, the offense is is finally starting to come around. And then the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' Game 2 win in the doubleheader is that the bullpen was really good again. You know, a little bit shaky there in Game 1. Jorge Lopez didn't have his best stuff. CNL Perez was not good. But in Game 2, they righted the ship. And it once again was only two pitchers. It started with Keegan Aiken, who came out in the seventh inning, He was good once again in this bridge relief role. Two scoreless innings out of the pen for Aiken, allowed just one hit, struck out two, did not walk anyone. Only took him 15 pitches to throw two scoreless innings. That's pretty good. His ERA down to 1.96 on the season. And for Aiken, once again, as we talked about all year, he just came in and he started throwing strikes. You know, he only got a, a couple of whiffs, but he got the outs that he needed. He threw mostly fastballs, 10 of his 15 pitches were fastballs, and he got the job done, even against a a good amount of righties. And then after he threw those two pretty quick and easy innings, you know, Jorge Lopez had thrown in game one. He'd gone over an inning, so it was a safe situation. They didn't have Lopez ready. And Brandon Hyde turned to Dylan Tate, and Tate was pretty good. You know, he allowed a leadoff single, but he got the next three hitters out to secure the save and get the Orioles the 4-2 win, Tate's first save of the year. And I liked what I saw out of Dylan Tate. You know, he threw 10 pitches, Five sinkers, three sliders, two change-ups. He got three whiffs, you know, one of them on the slider, two of them on the change-up, which looked mighty good. Ended the game with a pretty nasty-looking strikeout. 
I liked what I saw. The velo was right around what it's been. Again, 92, 93. He's not breaking the radar gun, but those secondaries are looking better and better. That work at driveline, at least on the secondary pitches, and the command is starting to look better for Dylan Tate. And he looked really good in that closer role, getting the save. And the Orioles end up splitting the doubleheader with the Kansas City Royals. But there's still one game left in this series. They got moved to Monday. And we'll talk about that coming up in just a second while also hitting on some Orioles news and notes. But first, let's talk about Built Bar. Because, you know, you were probably sitting around waiting for Orioles baseball all weekend. Maybe you got out of the house because there were no Orioles games on Friday or Saturday. I know the weather was terrible, but maybe you need a little energy boost to get out there and enjoy your non-Orioles time. Maybe you grabbed a Built Bar. You should have because it's a nice little energy boost that is delicious and tastes like a candy bar. These Built Bars, we've talked about them on this podcast many a times, but they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They've got 17 grams of protein, but these tastes, the peanut butter brownie, the mint chocolate, the white chocolate chunk, you know, the, the cherry flavor, all these different fruit flavors as well. They taste like you're eating candy bars. It's a delicious protein bar, a way to eat right and also feel good. Treat yourself while feeling good about it as well and having your body feel good about it. And at Built Bar, the thing is they keep coming up with these new flavors. So you, you fall in love with some flavors that they keep and then they add new ones you get to try and they continue to be delicious. You can't believe that Built Bar just keeps getting it done. So want to get your hands on some of these delicious Built Bars, head to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So the Orioles split the doubleheader with the Kansas City Royals. They win the first one. They lose the first one, 6-4, I should say. Win the second one, 4-2. Orioles 11-17 on the season. But still a chance to win this series. Because of all the rain, You know they pushed the two games to Sunday for the doubleheader. And then how about a little Monday matinee to finish off this series coming up today? As you listen to this, this game might be in progress or might already be over, but it is a 12.05 p.m. Eastern time start. The Orioles and the Royals at Camden Yards, and we talked about these pitchers a little bit on Friday's episode. But for the Orioles, it's going to be Tyler Wells. For the Royals, it's going to be Carlos Hernandez, who has really struggled this year. So we will see, you know, in terms of the Oriole bullpen coming into this game, I mean, Keegan Aiken not available. Jorge Lopez may be available, but probably not. But you look down at the pen, and, and Dylan Tate's ready to go. I mean, he only threw 10 pitches. I mean, you may not want to use CNL Perez because of how bad he looked, but you know, you've know you got Paul Fry. You've got Joey Crable all ready to go. Felix Bautista, Brian Baker. You know, the bullpen is kind of set up and, and really still very rested and hasn't, you know, a lot of them haven't pitched since Thursday or before. And then, you know, even though Tyler Wells is probably only going to go his four or five innings. You've got those options down there in the bullpen who can definitely follow him up. Now, we haven't seen the official word yet, but of course, Travis Lakins uh, was brought back up to the Orioles on Sunday to be the 27th man for the doubleheader. You can carry that extra player for a doubleheader. Uh, but Travis Lakins has been returned now to AAA Norfolk, so uh, he goes back down. He is off the roster. as are back to 26 on Monday. One other thing to watch as we get to our Orioles news and notes here is that, you know, the O's behind Tyler Wells sometimes do like to use kind of a, a, a longer man. And Keegan Aiken was used Sunday, which means I would bet that we're going to see Logan Allen make his Orioles debut 
here in this game on Monday. Again, talked about him on Friday. Orioles claimed him off waivers from the Guardians, a former starting pitcher who had been working out of the pen this year for Cleveland, but can definitely give you length from the left side. Uh, you know, not a big velocity lefty. So if you go with the big velocity righty with the good stuff from Wells, and then you, you flip to the lefty for Allen for, for maybe two innings, that could be the recipe to try and win the series on Monday for the Orioles. But just wanted to close it out with, uh, you know, some some notes from the Orioles minor leagues as well, because, uh, you know, how about the Bowie Bay Sox on Sunday in game one of a double header shout out to them. They threw the 11th no hitter in Bowie Bay Sox history on Sunday. Wanted to shout out the two pitchers who got things done. It started with Garrett Stallings, who actually came over in the Jose Iglesias trade a couple years ago from the angels. And he dominated it was a seven-inning game because it was a minor league doubleheader, but he goes, of course, the six scoreless and hitless innings in this one for Stallings. Uh, the stuff was good, and Stallings has been really, really good this year, always known as a big-time control pitcher, had these crazy numbers at Tennessee where he pitched where he basically didn't walk anybody. The stuff isn't crazy good, but his velocity has ticked up you know, towards the, the low to mid-90s as he's joined the Orioles system. And, you know, he strikes out five, walks just two in his six innings. And then in comes former Locked On Orioles podcast guest Morgan McSweeney and gets a 1-2-3-7 to finish off a 4-0 win for the Bay Sox and their 11th no-hitter in team history. So congrats to Stallings and McSweeney. And then shout-out to Bowie, who ended up sweeping the doubleheader with Harrisburg. Uh, they won it 2-1 to one in Game 2. Joey Ortiz was the hero. Of course, he is back in the Bowie lineup, and he hit his first home run of the year at Double A. Came at a big time, solo shot in the bottom of the six to give Bowie that two to one lead, and then they would hold on for the doubleheader sweep over Harrisburg. The Bay Sox are now twelve and thirteen on the season, uh, but pretty good day for them throwing the no hitter. And then wanted to shout out, of course, to Triple A because on Saturday night. Grayson Rodriguez got the start for the Norfolk Tides, and he was pitching to Adley Rutschman, who, of course, is up in AAA now and should be in the big leagues pretty soon. But Grayson was once again just dominant for Norfolk. Now, they did lose the game 1-0 against the Nashville Sounds, but Rodriguez, five and a third scoreless, two hits, five Ks, and three walks pitching to Adley Rutschman. It was great to see. Fastball was up at 98 Adley got a couple of hits over the weekend as well, moved up to Norfolk on Friday. And then we should see D.L. Hall start in Norfolk at some point this week. But exciting times. And again, my official prediction is still May 20th, a Friday night game at Camden Yards against the Rays. That is my official Adley Rutschman Major League debut prediction. I think they let him play out all of this week in Norfolk, especially because the Orioles are on the road this week. Then the O's return home a week from today, Monday the 16th against the Yankees. That could be Adley's debut, but I have a feeling they're going to want him to debut on a weekend night just to get as many people in the park as they can. So again, my guess is May 20th against the Rays. Just counting down the days until that date. But I do think that homestand from the 16th to the 22nd, he's going to debut, barring any injury. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen, but he's going to debut in that week. And of course, we'll be all over it here on the podcast when that happens. But here on the pod, we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode recapping Game 3, the matinee between the Orioles and the Royals. Get you the five things you need to know from that one and keep you updated on all the Orioles news and notes coming out of Birdland back on the pod tomorrow. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast. 
part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.